Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to Playing Favorites. It's an honor to have so many lovely people on as guests, and so many even lovelier people listening. Before this especially nice episode begins, I wanted to check in, say another thanks, and share a few updates. I'm currently in the middle of an exciting, mind-expanding week covering the Sundance Film Festival, even virtually. And if you're interested at all, I'd love it if you checked out some of my reviews, which I'm writing for Film Days and sharing on Twitter. I've already reviewed Gerard Carmichael's On the Count of Three, Rebecca Hall's Passing, my favorite of the festival so far, and what is sure to be a knockout success come award season, Shaka King's Judas and the Black Messiah, among many other great, or at least discussable, films. As well, if you've heard of the series The Good Lord Bird, on one of my favorite historical figures, John Brown, and starring Ethan Hawke, the film site Brightwell Dark Room has just featured a piece I wrote on why that show is my favorite piece of media of 2020. And speaking of media, I'd really love to share a film I just completed called Evening Plans, which stars one Laura Hounsell in her first on-screen role, and the reviews we've received so far say she delivers a riveting performance. Check her out. It's available on YouTube and in my Instagram bio. And lastly, if you like this podcast, please do subscribe on Spotify or iTunes, or anywhere really. And if on iTunes, maybe leave a review. The closer to five, the better. Please, perhaps? Okay, that's that for now. On to my conversation with the always delightful Yusuf. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome to Playing Favorites. I'm Nathaniel Brummer-Beller. My guest tonight is a very lovely man I've known for a few years now, and I am fascinated to talk to him. It's Yusuf Sudan. Thank you. It's me. Welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> we first worked together in Fringe 2018, didn't we? Correct. Yep. Yes. But we'd met a couple times before that. Very briefly, yeah. We didn't really get to speak much, but yeah, Fringe <laughs> was uh, the first time we spoke properly, yeah. I've cut mine since, but we definitely had very similar hairstyles. Correct. And that was, uh, <laughs> in a city like uh, Edinburgh, that's something that really stands out, and you go, oh, look at that. Very rare, yeah. <laughs> we can sympathize. Correct. Well, it is a delight to have you with us. I'm very curious to hear mm-hmm. what you have brought in today. Mm-hmm. Okay. How was the process of choosing? You said? Uh, I think it was pretty straightforward. I think the thing that I struggle the most with uh, is music because I'm not a very musical person. I'm not very musically literate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really have a favorite album per se. So I had to make some approximations. Okay. Well, I'm curious to hear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Otherwise, are they things that you kind of think you have a favorite on that was easier to figure out? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. See, people like you are the type who I'm like, maybe I should talk about favorite food or something. Yeah. Because you're, you're somebody who more than anyone I've ever met has a way of looking at the food you eat. Uh-oh. Talk a little bit about that because I, I don't think people know that uh, about you. Yeah, I think in, in the past I used to experiment with like, in the and I stress <laughs> in the past, uh, I used to experiment with <laughs> different ways of eating. So I see, for example, mm-hmm. people going all crazy and eating meat only. Uh, and I, I, I mm. believe it's bonkers. I just would like to know how it feels. Um, and I would do that and it wouldn't feel that great. Uh, and I would go back to square <laughs> one and see that some other people don't like to eat carbohydrates. And I would go, okay, maybe there's something to that. Um, and I would mm, try it and there would be nothing. And yeah, I think <laughs> I gave up on that about a year and a half, two years ago completely. So yeah, now I'm just, you know, 
plain old normal. I just remember when we were doing Technicolor, and you know, we'd go to Sainsbury's and we'd be like, hey, you want some of our snack? And he'd be like, no. I'm not eating that. Yeah. <laughs> it's purely experimental, uh, not virtuous. I should stress that. But it was very interesting. And we were all asking, you know, yeah. what did you find Yeah, out? I'm basically, for your audience, I'm trying it so that you don't have to. Uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> Back to the playing favorites categories mm-hmm. that we do have. Tell me your choices. Okay, so... Uh, so favorite film. Let's begin. Favorite with. film. I was actually kind of torn between two. I was torn between uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, uh, which is a very old movie, and then For Sema, which is a very recent movie. But because we're in like kind of the 10th anniversary of the Arab Spring, I'm going to go for mm-hmm. For Sema. So that's my pick for a movie. Wow. And uh, album, again, it's an approximation, and that would be Down to Earth, uh, Stevie Wonder. Okay. And favorite place is the Pentlands in Edinburgh. Favorite okay. joke, uh, it's about a game warden and a fisherman. I'll say that for now. <laughs> Yet again, every episode this happens, I'm like, I want to discuss all four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is why we have repeat episodes and that type of thing. And for now, we're just doing two. So, you ready to find out which one they are? Let's do it. All right. I'm curious, though, because if we get film, mm-hmm. I want to talk about both. But the one you picked is a fascinating subject. So, And a fascinating film. But, you know, I'll save that. Ready for choice number one? Let's do it. Album. Okay, good. Okay. All right, Stevie. I got mm-hmm. some back there in the vinyl collection. There. Oh, I see. Not okay. down to earth, but there's definitely got music in my mind, a couple others. So, cool. Choice number two? Mm-hmm. Film. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, without further ado, mm-hmm. let's talk about album. You were saying this took a little bit of thinking True. to figure out, True. right? True. That's a hell of a choice. True. Uh, I think I love Steve Wonder, Stevie Wonder. I'm not a Stevie Wonder fanatic. Mm. I don't know every single album. I don't mm. know every single song. I think it's 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 probably the reason I picked this is that it has probably my favorite song of all time, or like one of my top five, three mm. songs of all time, which is A Place in the Sun. It's mm. the first song in the album. And I don't know, something about that song, like there's some peace, there's some hope, little hint of sadness there. I think he just mm. balances it very well he didn't write the song but he sang it very well and i think stevie wonder has that habit of usually when covering song to singing even better than it was ever wow. sang the first time uh, and i don't know how he just has some sort of passion putting his own sort of style and technique into it again i'm not musically literate but something about it is just magical to listen to and it's very very hard to sort of get bored listening to his music that's down to earth some other songs that i'm kind of a fan of in the like sort of my top picks for the album as thank you love mm-hmm. i think be cool be calm is one of like the top ones as well sylvia and also i think mr tambourine man is, is a cover for uh not very popular uh cover of um bob dylan's song um usually when stevie wonder made covers for bob dylan it's usually not that popular among people who i want to say know about music for some reason, they're very popular with mm. me. Uh, I just think they sing them a lot better, <laughs> and I like that version of the song a lot better. Uh, Blowing in the Wind, yeah. Mr. Tambourine Man, one of my two favorites of Stevie Wonder's covers. So, yeah. You know, I actually didn't know he, he did Blowing in the Wind. Oh, yeah, he did it. It's a very, very good cover. I remember hearing Sam Cooke was really taken with that song. Mm-hmm. They actually talk about that in... Um... One Night in Miami. Miami. That new film. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. You're going to have to have some time to do. <laughs> but it is, uh, actually, in a way, I, sh- I shouldn't be surprised that other people covered it because it's such a, mm-hmm. such an excellent song. And so ripe to have other artists come in and give their take on Correct. it. Correct, yeah. I got to say, one of my favorite Stevie Wonder songs, cover-wise, is um, 
We can work it out. Okay. The cover of the Beatles. It's really, I recommend that one. That was really funny. Okay. Very sweet. And like you say, puts his own spin on it mm-hmm. and adds something really nice. Yeah. But that's cool. So down to earth, that's 19, late 60s, no? 66. 66. Mm-hmm. So he was still pretty early in his career. Yeah. I think Stevie Wonder, or what people think of Stevie Wonder, like peaked or reached to speak maybe around the 70s where like everything was just mm-hmm. on fire. And I think you can <laughs> yeah. find little bit hints of that um, in the songs that he sort of co-writes in Down to Earth. So things mm-hmm. like, again, mm-hmm. uh, Be Cool, uh, Be Calm, Thank You Love, Sylvia. Both, I think, mm-hmm. they're, I think, one of the best that he co-writes in, in the Down to Earth album. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. in those ones, you can see some sort of a hint of how he later develops into his own writing and right. his own full style. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, I think I think it's an interesting snapshot of his like very long career to look at. That's definitely a period I don't know enough about. Mm-hmm. When I think of Stevie Wonder, I definitely think of the early mid seventies. Mm-hmm. The only album I think I really have dug into is Music of My Mind. Okay, and to be honest, that was because of Atlanta. Okay, <laughs> played a couple tracks from that in the Teddy Perkins episode, mm-hmm. and I was like, mm, these are great, and just decided to listen to the album. I got obsessed with it. Growing up, there was always a Stevie Wonder CD somewhere around the house. Okay. I've almost always just heard the kind of greatest hits. Mm-hmm. Because the greatest hits I've heard a billion times. Hasn't everybody? Uptight, Signs, Sales, Delivered, I'm Yours. Correct. Everything. But what's funny is that I remember in almost all the greatest hits, they kind of have fingertips. Which is, you know, that instrumental from... He's really, really, really early when he was, what, 15 or something? Okay. And then it just leaps into the 70s. <laughs> and so many of the greatest hits just go right there was one in the early 60s yeah and then 10 years later there were 30 yeah I th- so i'm i'm one of those people who has not dug in deep enough into that period in between yeah i think you can see actually in his sort of like 60s work some songs that don't really work out that well but you can see him like later on taking right. the hints of them that work out well and take them on into the 70s uh, and usually I think one of the mm. things you see in like his like not very popular music from the 60s, uh, they can be a bit repetitive. Okay. I think My World Is Without You or Angel Baby, both in the Down to Earth, are a tad repetitive. People don't really like those songs very much. But I don't know. I just like A Place in the Sun so much that it just skews mm. the whole thing for me. Well, fair enough. <laughs> so that's your favorite stevie album favorite album yeah correct. yeah is that your favorite stevie song place in the sun uh yeah i think it's my probably my favorite song ever yeah wow big statement yeah (laughs) that's what we're getting to these podcasts here yeah (laughs) brilliant stevie wonder down to earth it's an excellent choice (laughs) now were there runners up that almost made the bill or what yeah but they're not uh western music so then they're arabic uh particularly egyptian uh, so I can't say so it mm-hmm. would have been like it would have taken the whole episode to sort of break down every song and the cultural context is this <laughs> and the meaning of this word is that but sometimes it's interpreted as this so yeah I thought I would just mm-hmm. make it easier and just go for down to earth give me the names why not okay I think uh, it's an album for mm-hmm. a singer called Hamza Nemera uh, he's Egyptian and mm-hmm. it was it got out in 2014 and the name of the album is mm-hmm. Ismani which means listen to me and in particular, mm-hmm. it's, it was le- like, an, this is a time where politically in the country, we had um, a big, big letdown because the revolution sort of started and it was kind of like taken away by the military uh, in 2013. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the album, again, the name is Listen to Me, was basically like a direct message to sort of the older generation, including like uh, the top people in the military, like listen to us. 
why do you keep mm-hmm. doing that? Why do you keep like you know treating us like wild animals? If you go in a like if you talk too much, you go into jail. If you wear too little, you go into jail. If you uh, dress or talk in a certain way, you go into jail. So it was basically just an uproar of a message just to say, please, just listen. I think shortly after he had to leave the country, so I think that says it all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when did you first hear that? In twenty fourteen, when it first came out. He's very mm-hmm. he's extremely, extremely popular. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's your sort of runner up. Yeah, yeah. Would you say you agree with his point of view? Uh, 100%, yes. I think I would go, he's maybe a bit too polite. I, I wouldn't be like that if I was singing. It, mm-hmm. it, like everyone known it to the extent that uh, in Egypt, there's like a, like a union for the singers. Right. And, he, and the first thing that happened after the album was released is he got expelled from that. Uh, and then every single talk show, uh, they're all, the media is all like in the hands of the regime, basically, started saying, right. oh, my God, look at that traitor with all that music. The music doesn't even mention anything explicitly about the revolution of the military, wow. but the words can be easily interpreted. And they were all mm-hmm. out like, look at him mocking our mm-hmm. military and servicemen. And like, it's nothing like that. But uh, I tend to like the reaction uh, that some artwork gets. Yes, I could definitely agree on that. That's so interesting. Well, that's a fascinating thing. One more time, what was the name? Ismani. Listen to me. Very good. How about category two? Film. This would be film. And I'm very interested to talk to you about this. So yes. you had sort of two answers, but you went yeah. for Fursama. Please talk to me about it. Uh, Fursama is like, uh, first of all, it's, it's quite funny how I got to watch the movie. I was in mm-hmm. Paris visiting uh, my girlfriend, Alma. Uh, she was studying mm-hmm. abroad there, and I was visiting around like October, I think, 2019. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to go to the cinema and watch something together. Uh, and she speaks French. I don't. So we had to find something <laughs> that we can both sort of watch together in French right. cinema house. So I think the when we were looking at trailers, what's showing nearby, we found that mm-hmm. for Amazon, and that's a movie that's in Arabic, uh, but obviously the subtitles are going to be in French. So that was yeah. the kind of sweet spot that we'd gone for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and went in to watch it. And I think before going into what the movie is about it's by far i think the movie that i most was shook by right. it's the only movie that every single person around me in the movie theater was not mm-hmm. tearing up but full-on sobbing it's like you mm-hmm. feel like you're in some sort of like a really big funeral um mm-hmm. the whole movie and yep. every single scene you you can never like if you're sitting in a very uncomfortable position you wouldn't know just because your mind is completely with the movie. So yeah, that's sort of like the the the, the climate that I've seen it in. Uh, the movie yeah. itself, basically, it's 18-year-old Wad. Uh, she's mm-hmm. uh, a student studying economics in Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in 2012 when the revolution erupts. And she sort of records everything. And I mean every single thing. From the very beginning uh, of the protests to when uh, the regime and its allies sort of crack down, uh, chemically bomb uh, civilians, how she falls in love with someone, uh, have a baby, uh, become mm-hmm. pregnant again. Mm-hmm. The scenes that it captures are, are scenes that you will never really see anywhere else. Um, and I think it's particularly, it, the movie is very graphic, but I think it's, mm-hmm. at some point, it's very important for people like me, like you living in the West or basically areas that are not war-torn to sort of have a look on that perspective and just see that, you know, these people are not running away for greed. 
they're running away for their life. And if you look really close, right. they don't actually want to leave. Uh, like one of the most fascinating things about the movie is that they were, uh, they were a group of civilians. They keep making hospitals into buildings and hospitals keep getting bombed. And mm-hmm. they keep on moving from a building to a building to make sort of a, a very, very small hospital. And they don't want to leave, no matter how much uh, the Russian sort of air fighters keep bombing uh, the city. And it's only at the very end where there is no choice but death or to leave, where they actually leave. And they really, you can see it in their eyes, they really regret um, leaving. So I think this in like our modern sort of outlook here in the West right now, it's very important to see it from the perspective Mm -hmm. of these people are not coming here for greed. They're running for their lives and they don't want to leave. I can only agree with you. I saw it. I saw it a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. oh, a year and a half ago, and I can only agree. It really everything you say, I fully agree with. But I absolutely said the exact same words when I saw it, which was, "You will not believe what you're looking at." Precisely because we are sort of raised. People our age from the late '90s onwards were raised with so many conflicts I mean especially growing up in the US for myself but so many conflicts where the reporting is both graphic at times but mostly filtered to make it palatable for us so translated into the way our society understands what mm-hmm. is going on and so so rarely even when everyone has the best of intentions so rarely do the actual perspectives of the people who are living it or just lived it or are living it right now are first hand and especially not in the moment. Because if you ever get anything in the moment, it's some CNN reporter saying, look, behind me, this city is getting bombed. <laughs> and and it was, I was almost ashamed while watching for Sama how rarely I hear from the actual literal front lines. And what is so stunning about this film, I totally agree, is that it's just people living their lives. And they just happen to pick it up, pick up, pick up a camera and say, what's interesting is that she's not even necessarily saying, I'm, I'm filming this for the West, or f- to make a point. I'm filming this because this is my life, and I want to document it, and I am falling in love, and I am going to have a child, and I'm going through extreme hardship, and it would be good for people to understand what's what's happening on the ground. But it's just such an incredible confluence of unique, heartbreaking, just stunning moments and, and lives and characters, but obviously who are real people, I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't seen it. It feels a bit, a bit insensitive to say spoil because it is a documentary. <laughs> but, but the scene with the baby, I sure, I'm sure you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. That is, I know exactly what you mean. Where everyone in the theater, complete, no one was breathing. Nobody yeah. was breathing. Yeah. But it wasn't that type of action movie, scary movie thing where you're like, "Ooh, what's gonna happen?" You're just like, "How is this <laughs> happening in front of my eyes?" Yeah. And well, we know what happens. It's, yeah, stunning film. Yeah, stunning I think film. the the yeah precisely in that scene. I'm not going to go and describe what mm-hmm, the scene is, mm-hmm. but I think in general, what you also is struck by is how calm everyone exactly. is, considering what's happening exactly. around them. Exactly, like you can die any minute, uh, in yeah. in in the whole length of the film. But somehow, mm-hmm. you, the kids just go out and play in like a destroyed bus. Uh, yeah. Like a bomb that a uh, bus yeah. that has been bombed. Yeah. People have dinner and go to each other's for you know dinner and everything, and everything mm-hmm. is fine. Uh, but yeah. it's not, uh, which is really of course fascinating to watch. I've definitely heard people 
talk about com- that, that conflict mm-hmm. and basically have this bizarre argument that, look, here's pictures of people having a normal life. Here's, people, here's pictures of people having a picnic or something in Aleppo. So clearly nothing's happening. I was like, that doesn't mean nothing's happening. That means human beings are trying to live their life Precisely. because what other choice do they have? Yeah. They have children. They have community. Yeah. Those who are still alive, of course they're going to try to find some enjoyment and some society and some degree of normalcy and some degree of love and enjoyment and friendship. And I, I totally agree. I don't, you don't really know what's more disturbing, the scenes of the violence mm-hmm. or the fact that they all just kind of pick themselves up two seconds afterwards and go about their day because, of course, yeah. that hospital just exploded. They all explode. And it, it, is, it is, if it was a narrative fiction film, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. It's yeah, one of those no, documentaries precisely. where then you, you the fact that the documentary you go, what? Yeah. No, I definitely yeah. get a bad review if it was fiction and be like, I'm not too unrealistic. It's yeah. too far fetched. Exactly. But exactly. it's real. But it's real. Yeah. Very real. Amazing. And it's, it's, it's yet again, it's yet again a, an example, obviously a real life, extremely tragic, extremely pressing example of how no one story is just misery. Because we talk about this a lot, I think, with stories of blackness where yes no one is going to pretend we don't have hardships that people don't have hardships that various communities don't have hardships but it is so much more valuable to find to balance to balance the 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 hardships and the misery with the moments of human enjoyment and overcoming a sense of crushing misery because that's how most people live is you balance the two and even the people who go through extreme hardships there is an extreme value in showing obviously you don't ignore what has been happening but it's extreme value in showing how people overcome and how people are resilient and for Sama is one of the most resilient films I've ever I think I've ever seen yeah yeah completely Completely. I would have mm-hmm. gone for fiction, but again, I just couldn't really <laughs> think of another movie that has sort of shocked me to the core as much as I've seen. And I've grown up watching Al Jazeera. So I've always been watching, like, you know, the US right. invades Iraq. This has happened. Sure. Abu Ghraib goes up. Uh, Guantanamo Bay is, mm-hmm. is like, like, I've never, never, ever seen something communicated like this ever before. It had a <laughs> rapturous welcoming in Cannes. And there was, it was, it was very interesting. And they, Were you there? Wanted, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. I wasn't there for the premiere, but I was there. I was, I was in Canada at the time. And I was, I went to, I happened to be at a panel. I asked them a question. I asked them this Al-Khatib question because I was, I was curious about how much cooperation, because, because my, my degrees have been in international relations and yeah. film, right? And so I am extremely fascinated in how those two things can complement each other. Yeah. And I think film, international film festival is literally the basis of that. And, mm-hmm. But I was curious in terms of what it was like for them to make the film if there were international organizations that helped or hindered their effort to make it and bring it out. And they had some really interesting answers because basically something that I'm shocked about, even when I was doing my degree at Edinburgh and then somewhat when I was doing the film one, is that the, these communities don't talk to each other as much as they should. There isn't as much conversation about the soft power of film and of doc, even documentary. You think it's a no-brainer, right? You think yeah. people would realize that if you could make a film about an issue, it will reach lots of people and deliver a message. 
probably more so than any of the press releases are going yeah. to. And they, <laughs> and they were saying they had an interesting answer because it was like not, they were also surprised. They were surprised that both the film communities weren't really sure why they would want to partner with international organizations, and a lot of the international organizations weren't really sure why they should be getting involved with some film. And it was it was a bizarre. Yeah, but but they 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 appreciated the the point because yeah they 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 experienced a similar thing. So that that's my crusade, Yusuf. That's I, I think it's really important. I think you you know as as much as as much as it's going to be unpopular, communicating it as a film, mm-hmm. I I'm sure uh, it would mm-hmm. have a much bigger impact than it would have been a book or a memoir. Yeah. If you know exactly. what I mean, um, I I okay. Here's me. I don't read very much, and I regret mm-hmm. that. But you know, if 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 this was not a movie, I would I this what's happening over there would have never uh, mm-hmm. been communicated to me. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, I I highly recommend uh, that you go out recommend. and see it. Few trigger warnings. It's graphic, uh, but it's really important to see. It is. Yeah, I have to agree. It is. It is not for the faint of heart. And I think it. It's one of those where it's like I think it, maybe if you do have a personal connection to the issue, you could probably skip it. Skip it because <laughs> if you know already, yeah, I think it's really no. I mean, I mean, I think everyone should see it, but it is deep a deeply disturbing experience, especially because it's all so real and it's so close. Because there are so many documentaries that capture the after effects of a bombing yeah. or a massacre or a people driven out of their home but there are so few that are literally feet away from the bomb in the hospital when it explodes precisely it, it is it's this it's uncanny it, to me it was the the best example of what a documentary can be ever yeah. that i've ever seen in terms of this is why we film things because that what just happened you yeah. couldn't you couldn't communicate it in a book you couldn't communicate it in a in a podcast or a speech. You just couldn't. There's yeah, no see. other. You couldn't do it in a photograph. There's no other medium that can communicate what just happened. Yeah. So I can only agree. What a yeah. great one to bring in, you said. Whoa. Woof. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm riled up now. <laughs> yeah. No. Completely. Yeah. No. <laughs> what was your other pick? Uh, it was Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Uh, Mr. For a Smith second. Goes to Washington. Your other yeah. is Mr. Smith Goes yeah, to Washington. Yeah, I should uh, sort of preface. I'm not a fan of the sort of actors' individual lives, uh, especially their political views. However, the movie, I think, at the time was perceived by very many senators and congressmen as sort of anti-American and pro-communist, uh, which is a reason enough to watch the movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that. I think my parents showed that to me when I was really young, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I sort of got it. Yeah. And I remember him standing up for hours and hours and talking about the machines and politics. But yeah. tell me, what do you mean by what do you mean by the actor's personal politics? Like I think uh like James Stewart and so like the director, for example, Frank uh Frank Capra and um mm-hmm. and the lead actor, James Stewart, uh mm-hmm. in real life they're they're Republicans. Uh mm-hmm. I know Republican then might have meant something different than Republican mm-hmm. now. Um mm-hmm. but still. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, but I think the 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 movie itself, the interesting thing about it, despite mm-hmm. that, is just the idea of how basically someone, you know, in in his case, he comes out of the Midwest, just like you know, as yeah. a scout boy, completely innocent, thinks you know, Congress is like, oh my God, the senator, <laughs> that DC, what an amazing, mm-hmm. virtuous place to be, uh, but he goes there and realizes that it's not, and I think it resembles sort of in in any country really, wherever. Mm you might have grown up you grew up thinking wow 
the president, the prime minister. And then as you slowly keep growing up, mm. this just keeps going down and down and down and down. Uh, and I think it kind of resembles that in a very nice way. That's an interesting point. The last few years have certainly smashed that idea to a pulp. <laughs> in so yeah. many different ways. But yes, the one thing, and this is, not, this is not a criticism of you, but the one thing is, as a Washingtonian, I grew mm-hmm. up in D.C., I'm not an elected official. Stop yelling at me. <laughs> so many, I mean, particularly Republicans, so many people refer to Washington. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> I'm precisely. like, whoa, you mean Congress, okay? <laughs> Washington is a lovely city full yeah, of lovely no. people, mostly. So. <laughs> yeah, can't put everyone same back, no. I think there's a lot of uh, DC people bristle when everyone <laughs> in the world is saying how much they hate Washington. Yeah. No, like, we love We you. didn't choose to have the government here. Yeah, we you know. just live here. But that's a great, that's, a, that's an interesting show. I need to watch that again. Yeah, it's an interesting watch. It's a 1939 movie, and its its reception mm-hmm. is very, very interesting, because it was banned mm-hmm. at the time in many, in many Nazi-occupied uh, places in Europe. I think in France they had, like, I don't know, less than 30 days to ban the movie. And I think many little, small theater, movie theaters uh, decided to show only uh, this movie for wow. right before the ban starts. So it's quite interesting mm-hmm. in that regard. That is very interesting. Well... Absolutely delightful to talk to you, Yusuf, as always. <laughs> Thank you for having me. To anyone who didn't know already, Yusuf is absolutely one of the loveliest people I've ever worked with and ever had the privilege to know. Well, I can say <laughs> the same thing and, and more. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a uh, delightful discussion. Now, Yusuf, I know there's very strict rules to this podcast, but I do mm-hmm. cheat them quite often. And Fair I enough. will do so again today because I would like to hear the joke anyway. Okay. Um... Like it, yeah. It's it's not my fault, people. If you're listening, uh, the <laughs> so. I absolutely love that you're beginning with "It's not my fault." <laughs> yeah, no, your own. Yeah, you can stop listening now if you want. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, so the joke goes like this: So there is a um, a game mm-hmm. warden that catches a fisherman fishing in a lake uh, without a license. Mm-hmm. So the game warden says, "Hey, um, you're gonna pay a big fine for all those fish in your bucket." And the fisherman says, but officer, I didn't catch these. They're just my pet fish. And I bring them here every other day for them to swim. And then they jump back into the buckets and I take them home. And mm-hmm. the game warden is like, oh, I don't believe that. But you can prove it. Uh, and if you can prove that's true, then I'll let you go. And the fisherman says, okay, deal. So he empties the bucket into the lake and just waits very patiently. And a few minutes go by. And the game warden says, okay, well, I can't see any fish. Where's the fish? And the fisherman says, what fish? <laughs> yeah, you're a fool. Not mine. I like it. Okay, cool. I mean, it's, what, it's, it's probably one of the only jokes I know anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't have much choice. Thank well done. you. We'll have to have you back sometime talking about the Pentlands. But sure. for now, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Everyone, this has been yet another episode of Playing Favorites. My guest tonight has been Yusuf Sudan, who has been lovely as always. Goodbye, Yusuf. Goodbye. More episodes are coming your way very shortly. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Say second-handed love I can't see It's good for some, but not for me You can't